0: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. How much of our trauma can we blame on our family and parents? Can the secret to unlocking long-lasting healing be found in our origin wounds? How do we unshackle ourselves from the past so we can find peace in the present and hope in the future? My guest today to help answer these questions is Vianna Farron, Mindful marriage and family therapist and popular Instagram relationship expert. She is the author of a new book, The Origins of You How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live and Love. Like bestsellers, The Body Keeps the Score and It Didn't Start With You, Farron's empowering and profound guide to healing old wounds and creating a fresh path forward takes a close look at trauma but from a different perspective. The origins of you zeroes in on our families of origin, the early caregivers who provided first lessons on everything from love and conflict to safety, communication and trust. There's no guarantee that the education of our family of origin provides us will be healing or even functional. To be sure, families frequently miss the mark in significant ways, creating wounds, beliefs or behaviors that are reflected in the life choices or relationships we choose as adults. Farron traces a direct line from present-day behaviours that limit us back to the family systems in which we were raised. But she doesn't stop there. Let's move on to the podcast. Life can be hard and it's easy to feel stressed, anxious and out of control. What if there was a way to take back control? What if there was a practical way to detox your brain? This is now possible with NeuroCycle, the first ever scientifically tested brain detox app shown to help reduce anxiety and depression by up to 81%. Users are guided through a variation of audio and video, brain exercises and mind management lessons every day. I'm excited to share some of the latest features in the app, including guides for children and parents, detailed feedback and recommendations, written guides through days 22 through 63 of the NeuroCycle, and an easy way to track your progress. There are over 500,000 NeuroCycle users worldwide, and the app has helped change thousands of lives, including people trying to find purpose in life, overcoming fear, better sleep, improved relationships, managing intrusive thoughts, depression and anxiety, and so much more. NeuroCycle is for everybody. No matter who you are, what you've been through, or what you do, you have an incredible mind and brain that is always on and needs to be managed so that you can live your best both mentally and physically. This app is designed for individuals, couples, families, businesses, or corporations. For everyone, everywhere. Join us by committing just a few minutes a day and see how your life is transformed. In just 63 days, you will have begun rewiring your brain for a happier and healthier life. Download the NeuroCycle app today and start changing your life one thought at a time. Just look for NeuroCycle on the iTunes App Store or Google Play or visit NeuroCycle.app. The link and more information will be in the show notes. Welcome back, Vienna. It's so nice to have you back in studio again. And this time we're going to talk about the fantastic work you do, but this time you have a book. So I'm so thrilled about it. Your first book, congratulations, The Origins of You. Beautiful, beautiful cover. Con- biggest congratulations. It's a big deal Thank to you. write a book. It's a, it's big, a big deal, deal. to write first one. Yeah, it's so yes, good.
1: it is. It How is. do you I'm feel? Excited. How do you feel about it? I'm really excited. When I finished, I I did the audio recording of my book a few weeks ago in January. And when I finished reading the book, I had this moment of Ah, I'm sad it's over. Like, there was this part that's like, I think I can do this again. And then, you know, and I know you've Uh, written many books, but it's it's a funny moment because you go through the slog, right? Where you're just like, oh Oh my gosh, gosh, this is Is so hard. Is it ever going to end? Yeah. Is it ever worth it? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But I (laughs) love that I'm at this moment where the book is no longer really mine. You know, it goes out to people and people will make it what it needs to
0: be for themselves and Absolutely. so i'm thrilled for it to be out in the world well i'm so i'm so excited for you and big congratulations Thanks. and you are a licensed family counselor therapist and so i want you just to start by telling people a little bit about you and why you've written this book because we're going on about the book but people need to know what's in this book so if you don't <laughs> right. mind starting just with just tell us and for my listeners that haven't heard you before sure. who you are what you do and why you've written this book Right. Yeah. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work
1: with individuals, couples, and families, all within the context of relationships. And my focus is really understanding the families that we grew up in and around. Sometimes we have one, sometimes we have multiple. So the exploration of our family of origin, those family systems, and how that all shapes the, you know, it's the foundation, it's the framework. It's our first education for pretty much everything. Obviously, there are other influences in our lives, but the family is where we learn Mm -hmm. how to communicate, how to navigate conflict, how to set a boundary, how we feel and think about ourselves and others, how to love and be loved, right? And so really diving into those frameworks and understanding the origin stories, right? The firsts in our lives, that is where I spend a lot of my time, you know, For for folks present day, it's like when we have these unwanted patterns in our adult lives, whether it's, The same conflict over and over with a partner or a parent, whether it's dating emotionally unavailable people time and time again, whether it's being chronically unhappy in every job that you hold. It's like when you can't shake a behavior, right? When you're like, okay, I want to change this, I want to shift this. But if you can't, if you keep finding yourself back there, my perspective is that we need to look at the origin, pain, and wounds that are running the show and kind of creating these patterns in our adult lives that we can't seem to shift
0: on our own. I love so much what you've said. And you know, the work that I do is also, you know, with all the sort of neuroscience behind all this stuff and mind body connection. And it's just, it's so vitally important that you that you talk about this because we can't just put a band-aid on the wound. And that's really what I love about your work is that you go to the source and we've got to go to the source and I know sometimes when people think, oh, we, you know, we show up in a certain way because, oh, people sometimes just think it's so much work to get there. Isn't there some mm-hmm. quick fix? And mm-hmm. in our current climate of psychiatry and bi- biomedical model, it's, it's, it's all about, oh, you've depressed, you know, you've got to take a pill kind of thing. But that's not the solution. What you're saying is do the work of go and find if you've got a pattern, mm-hmm. you need to go. There's a reason and yeah. go find that reason and the family so you very you've focused quite heavily around your in your work around the patterns in the family and how that translate so can you explain how you see that playing out maybe with some examples maybe we should start with an example because sure. you've got lots of stories in your book of people you've given case studies and you've given practical exercises and all kinds of things so yeah. maybe let's dive in with a story and as an example and then we can dive a little deeper does Absolutely. that sound like a good plan Yeah, it's
1: a great plan. I want to quickly just say like, we always understand why it's hard to look back, right? It's like so many of my clients come into therapy and we call it the presenting problem, as you know. And the idea of like, here's the thing that I'm struggling with today. I want to keep my eyes on the prize and I want to find a solution. And like you said, a quick fix. And we can spend a little bit of time there. But when the quick fix isn't working, right? Like that's where we turn around and take a look at the past. It's hard stuff though, because people are really nervous about opening up Pandora's box. They don't want to, you know, we worry about, we've gotten our relationship with a family member to a certain point at this point in our lives and we don't want to disrupt that. We idealize a childhood and we don't want to disturb that. And we also sort of hold this narrative that our parents did the best that they could with what they had. And so a lot of times we will rationalize and explain away the pain. And so yes, context of course is important and we can see people through a lens of compassion and grace, which I highly recommend,
0: and it cannot be the excuse for our pain. So
1: that's really your question. Good.
0: Uh, can I ask you a quick question yeah. around that? I think that's so important that you contextualize it like that, that it is hard to look back and it's hard mm-hmm. to go through that change. And yeah, you know, as you say, sort of idealizing childhood and our parents doing the best in the, that is still that's so valid. But at it the is. same time, you can honor that space. But you can yes. also say, well, that was a space, but it did impact me. So it's actually okay to honor that space and then say, okay, but there was an impact. I need to work on the impact. And I think I, I don't know, I to go. ask you, yes, so I want to mm-hmm. ask you this question. I think this was the whole social media explosion. You can mm-hmm. get as much therapy. You don't have to go to therapy almost. I mean, you can go online and you can get all the advice that you need. Obviously, it never replaces that good good you know good, inter- good interactive therapy. But the thing is that there's a lot of move towards it's my parents fault and early childhood mm-hmm. and it's great that we are talking about these things but mm-hmm. is, is do you have an opinion around maybe there's a shift too much about the blame side and right. you know the victim and and that can keep us stuck as well because I think I heard you say let's keep a balance let's acknowledge our parents but let's also look at impact Absolutely. correct me if I'm wrong or how, how do you yeah. feel about that yeah. I mean, I'm really explicit about it in the book that this isn't a book
1: about throwing our parents or the adults in our lives under the bus, right? This is about understanding yep, the story mm-hmm. and absolutely that balance of grace and compassion. Right at the end of the book, I talk about something that Michael Kerr, psychotherapist says about filial loyalty of seeing our parents outside of just mommy and daddy, right? And this this exercise of thinking about your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see how the perspective shifts. And mm-hmm. I Love it. that inquiry right i love that exercise because again we are reminded that the people in our lives were once tiny humans who have a rich history who have a complex story who grew up in their own family systems and have wounds of their own and when again when we can see it through that lens of like oh yeah you've had this human experience too right and mm, and this. so i have a tenderness with you but that tenderness cannot be an excuse right so that balance of Grace and compassion with ownership, accountability, right, responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's the intersection of this work. We don't have to hate people. We don't have to throw them under the bus. We don't have to point a finger and place blame. In fact, I would say that that's often something that just keeps us stuck in the cycle, right? Is that at some point we need to become agents in our own lives to say yes this is what happened and now i am the person who's responsible for my healing because when we outsource our healing oi right it's like that's where we will stay stuck because people sometimes people can acknowledge us and sometimes people can mm-hmm. apologize from a heartfelt place but what i find more more times than than not is that we can't, they can't. And so we get stuck in this place wishing that once my mother acknowledges this, then I will feel good. And that's where we have to shift away from that. So
0: yeah, I, I think that that, that balance
1: yeah, is, is so important to hold and yeah, to know that we're not going in trying to bash our families here at all.
0: 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues and 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation. You've probably dealt with this at some point in your life and I know how difficult it can be. One of my favorite brands, Ned, is here to help with their incredible new product, Shut Eye Chai. It's inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing tradition and is Ned's biggest product launch to date. It's a mellow super blend latte for sleep that combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms and magnesium. Seriously the best ingredients out there wrapped in a heavenly masala chai inspired spice body. Think cinnamon, clove, ginger, All that good stuff. It doesn't just set you up for amazing sleep. Ingredients like chaga, reishi, and ashwagandha are deeply nourishing to your body, so you're getting a ton of additional benefits as well. Plus, it's crafted from the highest-grade, single-origin ingredients ethically sourced from some of the world's best small-scale farms. It's all-natural, made exclusively from functional botanicals, fungi, herbs, plants, minerals, roots, and spices, and does not contain CBD, caffeine, melatonin, or dairy. I love drinking cup of shut eye chai just before bed with some coconut milk. It is delicious and helps me fall asleep faster and wake up less. Indeed, since I started this nightly ritual, my mind feels sharper and I'm getting consistent quality sleep. Discover how shut eye chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with the code Doctor Leaf. Go to helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 15% off Sweet Dreams. The link and details will be in the show notes. Thank you for saying that and for saying it so beautifully because it is that there's a tendency. And I think, you know, it's always like that. We become aware, we've suppressed things for years, and then suddenly mm-hmm. there's this zeitgeist of, hey, let's now, hey, trauma, the past that really, you know, we. Finally, acknowledging that the past does impact our future, and then there's a shift too much in one direction, right. and then we kind of bring the balance back again. So, that's really something that's why I brought that up because I saw this in your book, and I know from talking to you that you have a very nice balanced approach. So, Thank I love you. that. We've got to look at the past, but we've and and we've got to honor what they've gone through. Seeing your mother as someone's daughter, mm-hmm. I mean, your grandmother's daughter, that's just phenomenal. What a great way of saying it, and then looking at yeah. the impact. So, you can do two things at once, so that's you right. don't get stuck. In one, only go, only look at it in one way. Love that's that. right.
1: Yeah. So you know, you're you were asking for some examples before. So I talk about five origin wounds in the book: the worthiness wound, yeah, the belonging wound, the prioritization wound, the trust wound, and the safety wound. And I open the book with a story about a client of mine. Who comes into therapy. She's presenting with trying to figure out whether or not she wants to stay in the relationship with her partner, Clyde. And she comes in and she says, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know why though, because he's this wonderful partner. We're probably about to get engaged and I need to figure out whether I ought to stay or go. And so we start exploring and I'm asking questions about, you know, has the other shoe dropped in past relationships? Is the other Drew other shoe dropped in your family of origin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, funny enough, to our point, she's like, why are we going back there? My family was great. I don't think you're going to find anything there. Why do therapists always do that? And we go on with our therapy for a bit of time. And then eventually, in one of our sessions, something opens. And we start talking about this moment when she was a teenager. She was in her dad's room using his computer and she stumbles across an open email between her father and a woman who's not her mother. And it's revealing all of these affair details that have been going on for a really long time. She had had this image of her father and the family. He's this great man, always home from work, always sitting down for dinner with the family, seemingly loving his his wife and his children. And all of a sudden, this image of her father and her family gets shattered. He walks in, he sees her looking at the email. He says, oh my goodness, please don't tell your mother or your sister. I promise I'll cut off the affair. It wasn't until that moment in therapy where she had spoken those words out loud. She had absorbed the secret, Or we often talk about family secrets. She had Mm -hmm. kept it to herself. She had never told her mother. Mm -hmm. She had never told her sister. And she had held this story internally for at that point, decades. And what we started to realize was that this rupture in her family of origin so long ago created a trust origin wound, right? She was always Mm. waiting for the shoe, the other shoe to drop in her romantic relationships because it had in her family of origin. Mm. And You know, for any, for us listening in, we might say, well, how could she not have seen that? Right. Like, how could she not know that an affair in her family of origin would have affected trust in her future relationships? But that's the, you know, that's what's so interesting about the ways in which we cope with our pain. Right. She had absorbed it almost Mm -hmm. so much that she had forgotten about this moment in her life because she had to go on. For the rest of her time at home, pretending like nothing had happened, she had to cover this secret she had taken on that role, one, because her father had asked her, and two, because she was really scared that revealing the secret would blow up her family. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until she was able to speak that out loud that we could actually begin to tend to the origin pain, right? Instead of us talking about whether she should stay with Clyde or not, whether or not it was a good decision to get married or not, right? Like, cause that focus is a distraction right? It, yep. It's not actually to not the, the real poor, core, problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the work, right? Is to bring ourselves back into the original pain that really wants to be witnessed. It has to first be acknowledged. I walk people through an origin healing practice in the book where that first step is about naming and identifying and acknowledging the wound, right? What, what mm-hmm. wound do I have? And some people who have read the book are like, is it possible to have all five? (laughs) Like, you could, you could, you could. Probably, of course. At some point in your life, for sure. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But, you know, to actually identify the wound and then to witness it, because so many times we just package it up, put it on the top shelf. We try to find a way to move forward. We've got our coping strategies, our defense mechanisms, all the things that we do to try to move the pain away, right? This sort of, this constant concept of time heals all wounds. Okay, let me just put it there and let time pass by and then I'll be okay. And what we see time and time again Mm -hmm. is that we have to be able to witness the pain, grieve what's there, and then begin the process of pivoting to new Mm -hmm. decisions and behaviors, right? And, And so in our work together, once we were able to do that process then she could loosen that grip that fear of the other shoe is going to drop and it made the decision to stay in a relationship with someone who was a phenomenal partner so
0: much more clear and easy for her Wow. That's such a brilliant example. Well, that mm-hmm. just makes me immediately want you to talk about all the different wounds. And I can just yeah. feel my listeners saying, okay, well, that gets it. So to what are these wounds and the origins? So I know that's a huge question, but right. maybe we could just jump through that, sure. you know, the naming of the wound. So, you know, what do you mean by naming of the wound? And you, mm-hmm. as you said, you have the five different, you've got three different parts to the book and you've got the five different wounds and whatever. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So the first wound that I talk about is the worthiness wound. I'm convinced that probably all of us rub up against this wound at some point. So the worthiness wound has a lot to do with conditions. If you were a performer, a people pleaser, a peacekeeper, if you had to get straight A's or had to be a phenomenal athlete in order to receive love, connection, validation, attention, presence, peace or calm in your family, right? You started to learn that I needed to show Show up in a certain way in order to get what it is that I wanted and needed. And if I didn't bring home the A's or if I wasn't presenting in the way that my family wanted me to, then the love is lost, right? Then there's something that's withheld right? And so oftentimes, right, we will become people later on in life who either embody that same kind of way of being, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm just going to please everyone so that people like me, right? Or I'm going to be a perfectionist so that I get the validation that I need. So there's a lot to do with the condition there. One of the... I talk about this in my book, Bless My Father. He's like, what chapters are am I in?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> where, where where do you talk about me? Oh, I think every th- every every person who writes about this sort of thing, their parents are worrying. Oh gosh, I know, I know. It's Where have you got it? You've got a you've got a great story too, which you can maybe filter in. I mean, you're probably going to do that now. So yeah, <laughs> well, think. I want right. I want to filter in
1: a little bit of it because I. Go know, at a point in my life my father who has grown since was very conditional with his love so when i behaved the way that he wanted me to when i was easygoing when i was showing up in the way that he preferred he mm-hmm. was so helpful he would he was very present he was very active in my life he would help me out lots of acts of service he could go mm-hmm. to the grocery store and pick up a few things for me if i needed them that type of thing but the moment that i became someone he did not like, right? Mm. And this could be in my teenage years, my early 20s. He would punish by shutting down and withholding, right? So oftentimes, Mm. he would spend days or even weeks giving me the silent treatment. And that silent treatment was you know i learned that if i was a certain way right the condition was yeah. behave this way present this way and then you get this from me and if yeah. you step out of that then you don't and then love and connection and help support is taken away from you this was a fascinating thing for me to realize because i think and it plays into a much a role that I took on in my family system pretty early on too. But it really supported that because as an adult, I started to realize that I believed that I was really only worthy of love, being stayed with, being chosen when I was easygoing, essentially needless. Right? I was this needless little girl. My parents went through a nine-year divorce process starting when I was in first grade. And I took on the role of being the needless little girl because they were crashing and burning around me. There was so much conflict. There was so much chaos going on. And I had decided that the best way to move through this was by being fine, being unaffected by it all, just kind of flying under the radar. And that needless little girl who's like, Oh, if I need something, it's going to be way too much for them. It's going to put too much pressure on the system. And... Listen, whether or not that was true, it didn't matter. They might've said, no, absolutely. We had room for you. But that was the way that I was internalizing. That's how you perceived this. it. Yeah. That's how I perceived it. That's how I was internalizing it. It was really fascinating to see how that needless little girl turned into a needless woman who also presented as having no needs, being unaffected by anything. And as I just said, with the worthiness wound, that really reiterated to me, don't have needs, be easygoing, fly under the radar. That's when you are likable, lovable, choosable. And when you are difficult, that's when love is withheld, that's when it's stripped away from you, that's when it's taken, right? And so it really continued to condition that part that said, just be easygoing, don't speak up, just fly under the radar, pretend like things are fine, even when they're not, right? And so that's, I want people to think about what were the conditions of love, right? What are the things that made me feel like, who did I need to be? What did I need to do in order to feel worthy of love, connection, presence? validation attention as a
0: start point wow. mm-hmm. very good that's that's so that's amazing and uh, you talk about you know the nine years of your how you the needlessness that grew into your adulthood how did that mm-hmm. impact your own marriage yeah well so before i had this
1: massive Breakthrough in my late 20s, I was dating someone at the time his ex came back into the picture. She wanted to be back with him and he was deciding whether or not he wanted to get back into a relationship with her or stay in the relationship mm-hmm. with me. And I became, of course, unsurprisingly, yeah. this person who said, well, absolutely take all the time you need. I oh, totally mm-hmm. understand. You know, yeah, you must be going through so much. right?" I became this overly under Understanding person and boundaryless, pretending like I was unaffected by the fact that they were talking so much, spending time together. And I remember having a conversation with a friend and it all clicked in. It's like, oh my goodness, right? The role that I took on as a child is the same role that I am in in my adult relationships. Wow. Unsurprisingly, again, I had never broken up with someone until this point. No partner, I was always the person who had been broken up with. It's hard to break up with people when you pretend mm. like everything's fine, right? It makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Right? But I remember being like, "I am actually not okay and and this is not respectful and I am mm. deeply affected by what's going on." Mm. And I remember picking up the phone, my palms are sweating, my I have a pit in my stomach, my heart is racing, I, you know, beating out of my chest. And I say, "You know, I'm actually not okay with what's going on and I feel so affected by this. Yeah. This doesn't feel respectful and I'm going to exit and that moment was such a profound moment when i look back wow. and again maybe even some listeners are like that feels like not that big of a deal but when no, you've been doing huge. something yeah, <laughs> yeah when you've been doing something for decades and then all of a sudden you try saying i'm not okay when you've always said you're fine it is life-changing and that's not hyperbolic, mm-hmm. right? It's It's life-changing mm-hmm. when you try something different for the first time. And it was both this empowering moment for me, but also like... I was crying on the floor for two months afterwards. You know, it's like it's it not an just impact. like it was an impact, and it's not just like ah, I told him, you know, and now my head is held high. It was like ah, oh, I did a really hard thing that is so powerful for me, and I'm still in pain, you know, and and this is still hard, and I, there's still grief there. Right, so it's it's not that mm-hmm. some, when we make these pivots and these shifts in our lives, that all of a sudden we're like. Oh, this is amazing. And then all like the soundtrack comes on and the sun is (laughs) shining down on you. Right. It's like, sometimes it's really hard and you're, you know, it's in the grueling kind of very difficult moments where you still choose that. And, and so this was such a beautiful shift for me. You talk Mm -hmm. about my partner now, my husband, (laughs) he loves to joke. He's like, I never met that woman you <laughs> are certainly the person who is absolutely able to say how you're feeling at all times and what you like and don't like and so we we get a good chuckle out of that but oh, that's amazing that is you know, amazing Go ahead. it i was gonna say it just shows that when you make one shift you know like that you start to set the new tracks for the behavior right it's you're amazing. like i, I survived that. it mm-hmm. right? you
0: survived it You also explained something there that I wanna just hone in on. It's because it's something that in in our research it's and it's something that's come up such a lot and that's I call it the treatment effect. Mm. And it's when you're progressing forward, you're actually gonna feel like you're going backwards. I mean, we all know this and as a therapist you've got to prepare your your patients for this and your, your clients and so on. But it's something that We don't really come to grips with when we're in the midst of that moment, Mm -hmm. and you've and you said that so clearly. It was pivotal, life changing, not hyperbolic. It was an actual thing. But you were on the floor crying for two months. So, in in some people's minds, they may think, "Hey, it made you go backwards." No, that was Mm -hmm. progress forward. That that, the ability to feel that pain, the ability Mm to to grow into that new person, that you were grieving all the years that you were the needless Mm -hmm. person. There was so much, and that's progress isn't right. it? I mean, that's it's the progress. So well so crying on the floor was the progress. That's yes. the treatment effect. It gets worse before it gets
1: better. So, Yeah. It's so, so beautifully said. And I think it's so important for people to hear because we're like, ah, healing this destination. And like when you're doing it, it's this beautiful thing. It's like, not, no. at all. not at all. It's hard. And you're right. We step to the side, we step back, we take a step mm-hmm. forward. Like you can feel like you're going in a, Weird direction. You know, I think a lot of times people have this fear too that as they grow, you know, does the pool start to shrink if you're thinking about dating? Right. And so it's like there's so many things that want to pull us back into, okay, this is what's familiar. This is what I know. This is what's easy. But I love how you're describing this that, yeah, this is a, it's a dance and there are yeah, going is. to be steps forward and backwards. And I recently had a session with a client of mine. She was really upset with herself because she knew she, she ought to have left a relationship a few weeks earlier and she'd stayed maybe six weeks longer. She's like, I should have, I knew better. I should have left. I overstayed. And I said, Whoa, hang on real real fast this is a person who had historically overstayed in relationships for 10 years. Mm. And so it was so mm. important to stop her in that moment of spiraling into this self-critic of mm. how how come I didn't do this and I'm not, you know, on my growth path. And she received it. Right? It was like, it's not about... It's, growth is not always about choosing the pattern right away in a different way. Sometimes it's about exiting a relationship just a bit sooner. Sometimes it's about noticing something a little bit sooner. Like we have to be able to see growth through many different lenses. And if it's just, oh, I should have done this in this moment and we can't see that, but you left in six weeks instead of 10 years, right? Like we have to be able to acknowledge the different ways that growth and healing show up. So yeah, thank you for reiterating
0: that. No, that's really good. I'm glad that you gave that example as well. It's really good Mm -hmm. because it's when you're in the midst of the stuff, you don't see those things. And that's why having these discussions is so important because it Mm -hmm. gives a different angle and you've really dropped so many pills of wisdom. So thank you. It's been fantastic. Okay, let's get, let's dive into some of the other wounds. Okay. And you can, so the one I want to, so we've done, I want to feel worthy and then I want to belong the next one. I want to
1: belong. Yeah. So a lot of families have this narrative of you know this is what it means to be in our family this is what we believe this is what we do this is what we this is how we love right and there's lots of beautiful stuff right when mm-hmm. um, when family systems have traditions right like that's yeah. lovely but there's also an element to it where if you don't adapt to who we are what we do, what mm-hmm. we believe, then you're going to be on the outside, right? And so oftentimes, this is a part of what creates the origins of a belonging wound. You're obviously familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate. He talks about how authenticity and attachment are the two lifelines, right? As kiddos, yeah. we, we need those things. Mm-hmm. But when attachment is threatened we will drop authenticity in order to save connection. So when we're tiny little yes. humans, mm. right? And attachment is threatened, right? Then we have got to become whatever we need to do, right? However we need to shapeshift, shift. However it is, we need to belong, mm. right? Because belonging must be it, right? And when we're tiny, belonging isn't authenticity, right? Belonging is fitting in, being a part of something, being mm. accepted by the system around us. And so we will adapt in those early stages. If attachment is threatened, if we're not believing and doing and showing up in the world in the way that our family requires, whether it's, you know, believing in a particular religion. Who you're allowed mm-hmm. to love and be loved mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of different examples in which like this this is how our family does that. So if anybody's ever heard that explicitly or even had it implied, right? It's going how right that's mm-hmm. going to have an imprint on the way in which you feel like you belong, right? Can I be authentically myself and still be loved, right? Still be chosen, still have mm-hmm. connection? With with the people I love, you know, I share about a story, a client in my book who is gay, and his parents were not able to make much space for that, and so much so that they really started I to said. treat him differently when he came out to them. And you know, this is obviously a common example. Yeah. A lot of people have this story, but it's, real. Mm-hmm. but it's real. You know, and I think there's, you know, and. I talk about it in the book where he specifically overheard like his mother saying that he was ruining her life, you know, and Oof. okay, they grew up in the South, they, small community, mm-hmm. lots of shame, fear of judgment from the community around mm-hmm. them. And he could understand that, right? He could, yeah. he could understand where the limitations were and where the constraints mm-hmm. were, but it doesn't change how deeply impactful those words are. He's ruining my life, Right. Mm. He's like, how could me being me ruin your life? Right. It's heartbreaking. And then Mm. you start to see how we chase belonging as adults then. We remain yeah. inauthentic in order to be accepted, or we can take a path of rebellion, right? Where we're like, screw it. And, yeah. and then I'll be on the outside. I'll be an outsider anyway. But either path, right? It, it's, it's not integrated, right? Whether we're mm-hmm. adapting and losing our authenticity in order to fit in or fully rebelling, rebelling to just say, screw this, there's still a lack of true belonging right? And that's the work to get to that
0: place of true belonging, which lives inside of ourselves, right? Authenticity. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad that you used the example of of someone who's gay, who's gone through Mm -hmm. what they're going through, because it is such an issue. And thank goodness we've reached a bit of a time period in our history where, you know, being able to talk about these things is more open. And I mean, it's, it's and well, a lot more open, but not enough. But Mm -hmm. it's still, it doesn't make the fact that there's still very strong belief systems that block mm-hmm. that and the authenticity thing is just so so true because how many people are sacrificing who they are to belong it's just right. I mean it's such a great example and just, right. it just breaks my heart how many children are on the street because they've been kicked out of homes mm-hmm. because they not being accepted for being who they are which is gay right you know, the whole lgbtq community and and I just want to honor them in this as you brought it up mm-hmm. I just want to honor them because it's, it's heartbreaking what has happened and the stories we get told as well, it's its heartbreaking. So thank you for bringing, using that example. And mm-hmm. we honor that pain that people are going through. And we honor your authenticity, anyone in that community. Mm. Thanks, Vianna. So yeah. then, do, did you want to say more about that? Or do you want well, to... I mean, listen, there's
1: so many examples, right? I This is not necessarily one that is strictly within a family system, but I, I think, I, you know, I mentioned it in the book that obviously society at large deeply affects the sense of belonging. Right? Yeah, we religious have, systems, all kinds of systems. Right, religious yeah. systems. We have, you know, of course, people of color who oftentimes are having to mold and adapt yeah. and shapeshift themselves in order to fit into white communities. Mm-hmm. We have differences in socioeconomic status. And so I make a mention of like, you know, if yeah. you went, to a private school, but your family had no money and you were just on scholarship, right? To like have to adapt in order to fit in, right? So we can look at so many different ways in which Mm. we're trading our authenticity and we are finding ways to change and pretend and, you know, essentially code switch in order to feel like we are a part of the group. But it leaves us with a wound there that needs our attention at this point in our lives.
0: Keeping your mind healthy is so important because your mind health will affect your brain and body health. Having a healthy mind is a lot more than just losing your keys and forgetting something at work. It is about living life to the fullest every moment of every day. Our sponsor, NeuroHacker, combines 28 of the most research-backed nootropic ingredients on Earth into the ultimate brain fuel formula, Qualia Mind. And it's been changing people's lives for years now. For my daily mental performance and supporting long-term brain health, Qualia Mind's a great addition to my mental self-care routine. It's great to actually take a health product where you don't have to wonder if it's working. If you deal with brain fog, memory lapses, sluggish thinking, then you need to try Qualia Mind. For nourishing your brain, it's hands down the best. It's made by the world's top scientists. It's an all-vegan formula with potent bioavailable ingredients. This company's 100% transparent, no-propriety blends, and beyond the science and research, Qualia mind flat out works. In fact, if you don't have clearer thinking in 30 days, they'll give you your money back. See what the best brain fuel formula on earth can do for your mindset go to neurohacker.com forward slash dr leaf for $100 off that's only $39 a bottle and as a listener of cleaning up the mental mess use the code dr leaf at checkout for an extra 15% of your first purchase that's neurohacker.com forward slash dr leaf to try to your mind with the code dr leaf to experience life-changing mental performance the link in details will be in the show notes That's so amazing because I've interviewed so many people lately and who have spoken about like the happiness project that Dr. Robert Mm -hmm. Wickham, Mm -hmm. the happiness project, which has run over 75, 84 Mm -hmm. years of 750 families. And the core finding in that was community, the need for community be so driven by Mm -hmm. relationship Right. And we often will sacrifice the relationship with ourself because a relationship is not just community. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's two. It's yourself right. and community. And it's what you've just been describing is how we can sacrifice our own relationship with ourself in mm-hmm. order to belong. So it's almost like the belonging to the community overrides self. We sacrifice self for the community, which is an interesting concept. So to bring that balance back into that is mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. So it's that's really right. good. You're speaking about that. It's, it's a huge one.
1: Yeah. So the next wound is the prioritization wound. And this is when you didn't feel important enough growing up. So oftentimes it might be a parent who's a Mm -hmm. workaholic, or there might be addiction in the family or a mental health challenge that's Mm -hmm. taking up a lot of space. And that is the thing that becomes the priority. It could also be parents' conflict that is so big and all-consuming. Or it might be, you know, a parent after a divorce who is dating for many years and only speaking about the people that they're dating and they're Mm -hmm. so not focused on the child. So, But one of the examples that I want to give for prioritization that I think is really important is that our wounds don't always come from a place of malintent, negligence, abuse. Sometimes it comes from a well-intended parent or family system. And that's really important to identify here. I have a really quick story about a client of mine, Andre, who had a mom who worked double shifts, two jobs, except for on Sundays, they would go to church together and have brunch afterwards. And then she would go off to her shift. And he could rationalize that mom working two jobs was was actually her way of prioritizing him. He loved her, respected her in such deep ways. But still at the end of the day, he craved for more time with her he craved to be the priority in his life in her life through time spent and I think it's mm. so important to realize that it doesn't always have to come from these awful abusive negligent places right that sometimes wounds come even when parents are doing their absolute best it's heartbreaking but yeah. that's, it's still so important to see that there's yeah. there's a wound that can still be created the trust wound and can I ask yeah. you
0: a question there? So sure. I think with those kind of situations it's, it's almost like the that Andre would feel guilt about saying, hey, I've got a wound because my mom... So there's conflict. But you're allowed to honor and you're allowed to heal. Yes. Kind of the two things together. I think that's really a strong message that you're giving people.
1: Yeah, so important. The trust wound is... Probably what you expect it to be, right? That there's mm-hmm. likely a betrayal, deceit, lies that you either experienced yourself or that you witnessed and observed, right? And so, whether it's you know, I talked about the client at the beginning of our our podcast here today who came across the infidelity of her father. Yeah. So obviously, that's a you know trust. one of the common examples of where trust then gets broken. And you know, there's so many things where. You, being taken advantage of somebody yeah. stealing money from you taking out credit cards in your name as a child mm-hmm. i mean there's so many things that can happen here it doesn't always have to be to you it can be to somebody else you love that you're just watching it happen and yeah okay. we go through life and maybe become adults who struggle to trust others and we're mm. constantly checking our partners phone or emails to see mm. what's really going on so that's one of the ways that it could show up we're on Speed racing our way through the wounds. The yeah, last this one is, no, is the safety is the wound, point. which, you know, I'm very, very careful and delicate with this wound. I am clear about it in the book as well that when we're talking about a safety wound, we are also talking about abuse, of course, emotional, psychological, physical, sexual. It's a really yeah. tender space. And when we've had our, when our well-being is not cared for, concerned for about, respected and honored right? That's when we don't feel safe and secure in the world, right? That's when a safety Mm -hmm. wound can be born. And and when it's the adults in our lives who are not protecting us, who are not seeing us, who don't have the care and concern Mm -hmm. for us to make sure that we are protected and safe, right? And so it's very easy to go through life then feeling like, I am not safe. Nobody is thinking about me. Nobody does have care. People are going to take Mm -hmm. advantage of me, right? And oftentimes, with a safety wound, those walls go, High, high, high up. I know we won't get probably get too far into it today, but you know, in the third section of the the book, I talk about yeah. how the wounds then play out in the breakdown in communication, conflict and boundaries. And so when we are protecting ourselves at all costs, then the wall goes all the way up and that blocks our ability for connection, intimacy, mm. closeness with others. And when we're talking about restoring some of these, it's not we do have to take risks. You know, unfortunately we can't get through this work without taking risks. There are no human guarantees. We cannot make promises. Sometimes people say after an infidelity, for example, promise me you'll never cheat. That is not going to repair your wound. Mm -mm. I promise you that those words will not change the wound for you. This is about eyes wide open risk-taking, right? This is not about a recklessness. I share an Ernest Hemingway quote in the book, he says the best way to know if you can trust somebody is by trusting them. This is not meant to be reckless. This is about that eyes wide open risk taking yes. and we mm-hmm. can do that when we understand ourselves when we understand the people we are in relationship with when we see the bigger picture and then we can gradually step by step begin to move through communication conflict and boundaries so differently than the ways that we were either taught or the ways in which we do it as a way of protecting ourselves that somehow still ruptures
0: things in the relationship Oh, that's so beautifully put. Well, Vienna, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. It's fantastic. It's a great book. It's very easy to read. This is the book, The Origins of You, and it's incredibly helpful. It really addresses the most basic, fundamental core of understanding who we are and how we play out in relationships and how we can improve that. So, thank you so much for your wisdom and for writing this book and for sharing about this on the podcast today. And where can people get hold of you? Oh, th- sure. Thank
1: you for having me. You can find me on Instagram at MindfulMFT. You can buy that book at anywhere that books are sold. So I'm so excited for people to have it in their hands. And then com is my website. So Fantastic. Okay. Well, you'll put thank all you. those in the
0: show notes. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a fantastic discussion and definitely look forward to doing it again soon.
1: Thanks, Dr. Leaf.